Would you take your Bibles this morning and open up to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 7. Our sermon this morning is Mark chapter 7, verse 31 through verse 37. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find Mark chapter 7 on page 843 in the, the Bibles that are in front of you. What a blessing it is to have the Word of God and to sit under the Word of God. Our God works out His good purposes in our lives, sanctification, growth and holiness through His Word. So let's give attention to His good Word now. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Diaculus. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do come this morning rejoicing in you. You are God. You are the creator of the ends of the earth. You have spoke and all things exist by your word. All things came into existence by your word. You indeed are God. You are the holy God. The angels sing endlessly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And all who draw near to your throne fall down face first in in worship and awe. Your kingdom rules over all, and your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your righteous reign extends to every part of the universe. You are faithful in all that you do. You are also the God who delights in meeting your people's needs. You delight in the humble. You delight in the contrite. You delight in the poor and needy. And so, Father, we come to you this morning. We have no right in and of ourselves, but we come to you by your own mercy. And we pray, would you feed us once again from your word? We have need this morning. We, we need encouragement. We need sanctification. We need growth in holiness. We see sins in our, in our lives that need to be put to death. So, Father, we come today longing for all of these things. We pray, would you meet our needs? Would you open your hand yet again and, and give us the bread that we need to sustain our lives? And, Father, we come knowing you are a generous God. You've given us Christ, and you will supply all of our needs in him. And so we pray, would you meet our needs now as we look at your words? We pray this in your son's good and gracious name. Amen. 
So as we keep working our way through the Gospel of Mark, we just cannot get past this point that there is something wrong with humanity. Demons are here and there everywhere, and we're, we're reminded of this as we keep working through the stories that Mark's give us. There, these demons are within the land of Israel, and they're among the Gentiles. Not only are there demons, but there's significant sicknesses and illnesses, and they're everywhere. Take your pick. You have paralysis or leprosy, or audio and visual disorders. No one stands immune from these problems. Both the rich and the poor are equally affected in the Gospel of Mark. And as we move through the narrative that Mark gives us, we hear these summary statements about the ministry of Jesus. For example, Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 34, Mark says this, That evening at sundown they brought to Jesus all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And we find another summary statement later on in Mark chapter 6, verse 56. And and Mark again tells us about the ministry of Jesus. Mark says, And wherever Jesus came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garments. And when we look at these summary statements, they, they shine forth the glory and the beauty and the power and the majesty of Jesus as the Savior of Israel. But they also testify to something else. They testify to the problem of humanity. The people that we meet in the Gospel of Mark are a people of death trending towards death. And here in the pages of this Gospel, we find the fulfillment in graphic and vivid detail of what the Lord said to Adam in Genesis chapter 3. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the fact remains true for us even today. Even though we stand far removed from the narrative world depicted in the Gospel of Mark, we have the gift of modern medicine. We fly in airplanes. We talk on smartphones. We do not stand immune to the very issues afflicting the people in the Gospel of Mark. Though we have hospitals, our hospitals are always full, and many people who enter into the hospitals never come out well. Though we have unprecedented access to to knowledge and travel and technology, we still occupy a planet of tragedy, disorder, and violence. We see it in our own city. We see it across the nation. We see it across the world. And the Lord's word to Adam yet applies to us. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. We too are a people of death, trending towards death. But it's also quite evident as we look into the scriptures, there is hope. We are pointed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel is a good word that undoes what has occurred through sin. A word that brings resurrection where there is only death. A word that brings reconciliation where there is only alienation and hostility between God and man, between person and person. A word that brings us near and back to God. And it is this word of the gospel that has broken into this very world that we inhabit. And we hear it again and again as we travel throughout the pages of the scriptures. Jesus preaches it to us in the gospel of Mark. He says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus preaches good news. The apostle Paul preaches good news. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Perhaps the best word of good news 
comes at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, God himself speaks and he says, Behold, I am making all things new. And when we come to our text this morning, we find that these two spheres, the sphere of sin and death and the sphere of life are are present, the sphere of curse and blessing, the sphere of sin and gospel are both operative in Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, we meet a man who is both deaf and mute, a man who intimately knows what it means to be a person of death, trending towards death. His ears don't work. His mouth doesn't work. But we also find a Savior who is both willing and able to save this man and restore him and reconcile him and redeem him. We meet a Savior who is full of life, abundant life. So as we've come to know, Mark is a careful and wise teacher. Mark uses every single word in his story deliberately. Mark is not a a writer. He perhaps did this in high school, trying to meet a word count, just adding in extra words here and there to, to meet your page count. He's not trying to fill in white spaces on the page. Every word in the Gospel of Mark has been given to teach us about ourselves. Who are we? Every word that Mark writes to us teaches us about Christ. Who is this Jesus? Every word that Mark gives to us teaches us about the the gospel. What is God trying to get done in his son? We can say this about the gospel of Mark. There is theology in the details. And when we look at our text this morning, there are so many details and there is so much theology for us to grasp. And so as we look at Mark chapter 7 this morning, our aim this morning is simple. We want to look carefully into our text and see what it reveals and contributes to our understanding of these two spheres, the sphere of sin and the sphere of gospel. Now, in order for us to accomplish this aim, to understand sin, to understand the good news, we're going to divide our sermon up into two parts. In the first part this morning, in the first part of our time, we're going to do a bit of digging in the Old Testament because it's only when we know the story of Israel, how they failed, and the hope that was given to them, we can only make sense of Mark chapter 7 when we've wrestled with this story, the story of Israel. And after we do a bit of digging in the Old Testament, rummaging around through the the texts that we find there, we're going to return to Mark chapter 7 and we're going to pry open Mark chapter 7 and the glories there by asking three questions. And the questions are, are these. What do these stories say about ourselves? What do these stories reveal about Jesus What do these stories reveal about the gospel? What is God getting done in the gospel? So we can dig into the Old Testament this morning. So the first story that we need to pay attention to is not about a single deaf and mute person, but a story about a deaf and mute people, a collective people. The people of focus are the the people of God. So Genesis chapter 3, Adam sins. All of humanity is jettisoned into into death. And in the midst of this, God begins a redemptive work. He promises to undo sin and all all of the dark consequences that come along with sin. And central to this plan of redemption was the creation of a particular people for God's own possession. 
From all the nations of the world, the Lord called out Abraham, and from Abraham a great nation was formed. And story after story in the Old Testament reveals God's saving kindness to this family, to this line, to this great nation. As we read the book of Genesis, we could recount the many times the the Lord preserved the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We could retell the the story of the Exodus where God's mighty right arm was outstretched and he was faithful to all of his promises and he redeemed his people. We could look at the many gifts that God gave the kings and shepherds of Israel, gifts like strength and wisdom. But we have to reckon with this story. There is great tragedy within this story. Though these people... God's people, his own particular people, experienced the salvation of God. Remember the Exodus. Though they experienced the the presence of God, the, the tabernacling presence of God, the many gifts of God, they were a foolish people. They were to be a particular people for God's own possession. But they craved, they they yearned to be like the nations that surrounded them. They were called to be a particular people in God's redemptive purposes, his mission. But like their first father, Adam, they chose sin before obedience to the Lord. They were called to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength. But as we read the story of Israel, we soon find that this people called out by God, loved by God, have no affections for their Savior. We have to understand that essential to Israel's calling and vocation before God was the work of spiritual understanding. They were to be a spiritual people. What does this mean? Well, Israel, they were called to hear God's word and obey God's word. They were called to know God's word and do it. The Lord would speak to his people, and then Israel would obey God's word. They would listen. Deuteronomy chapter 6 captures the essence of this relationship. This text reveals what it means to be Israel, what it means to be among the redeemed of God. And Moses comes to Israel, and in this sermon, he's revealing to them their their task before God. And he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is the essence of Israel's relationship with the Lord. There to be a hearing people. Hear, O Israel, and take these words into the very inside of your being, into your heart. And Moses goes on to say from this, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So what is Moses talking about here? Well, he says that the people of God, they should be a people who use their ears to hear the word of God. And then out of the overflow of their hearts, they should be a people who use their tongues to speak the word of God to others. So they're a hearing people, and then they ingest the word of God into their heart, and then out of the overflow of their heart, they they speak the word of God. They're to speak the word of God to their children when they're sitting down and when when they're walking, and they're to use every means at their disposal to communicate the word of God. Write it on the doorposts of your house, on your gates. Make known the word of God. But by the time we come to the book of Isaiah... Sin has become entrenched as a way of life for the people of God. 
And Isaiah looks upon the people of God, this particular and holy people, and he gives this verdict in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. He says this, The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness to it. What Isaiah is saying is, The rot of sin has spread to all parts of Israel. Poke at the head of Israel or poke at the feet or poke anywhere in between the head or the feet. You're not going to find any soundness. It's all rotten sin and its consequences are everywhere among the people. And in chapter 42 of his book, Isaiah begins to poke away at the spiritual senses of the people of God. And we can ask, well, what has become of this people called to hear God's word and then to speak God's word? Isaiah explains in chapter 42, verse 18, he says this to Israel. The Lord is speaking here. The Lord says, Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things but he does not observe them. His ears are open but he does not hear. This is Israel. And when Isaiah calls the people of Israel deaf and blind and dumb, he does not mean that the whole of Israel has become physically handicapped. These people could still hear with their ears, their babies crying, they can hear, they can still see with their eyes, they can see the grass, they can see the mountains. But Isaiah points to a deeper problem. These people have become unresponsive spiritually. Or we could even say that these people have willfully become spiritually handicapped. Or we could say that they've, they've, in their sin, blocked up their ears. In their sin, they've gouged out their own eyes. In their sin, they've mutilated their own tongues. No longer because of their willful and sustained disobedience can they hear the good word of God like Moses commanded them. No longer because of their willful and sustained disobedience can they treasure it up in their hearts and then speak it forth to all who hear. We can clearly see in the book of Isaiah what it means to live in this fear of sin and death. Isaiah says, Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf is my messenger whom I sent. But there's good news in, the, in Isaiah. This fear of sin and death will not have the last word. And, and peppered throughout Isaiah's depressing descriptions of Israel and their sin are hopeful words about God and what this God of the Scriptures will do for his people. And we need to bring our focus into one particular passage. In chapter 35, Isaiah begins to explain how God will systematically overturn the sphere of sin and death. And so what has sin brought to humanity? Well, sin has brought futility and destruction, and death. So in chapter 35, verses 1 through 2, Isaiah speaks of a hopeful word. This is what God will do. Isaiah says, The wilderness and dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. What is Isaiah talking about? Isaiah boldly declares that where there was death, wilderness, there will be life, life so great and new and beautiful, it will sing and rejoice. Where there's only wilderness, a great garden, a garden like Eden is going to spring up. But the good news doesn't stop there. This good news that Isaiah is preaching will come to God's people. 
It will come to this people who in their sin stopped up their ears, who in their sin gouged out their own eyes, who in their sin mutilated their own tongues. Isaiah revels in the good news in verses 5 and 6, and he says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. What Israel so desperately needs, they need spiritual understanding so they can, they can hear the word of God and take it into their heart and, and speak it. Isaiah says the Lord is going to bring this to his people. He's going to give them eyes that can behold the glory of God. He's going to give them ears that can, that can appropriate the word of God. He's going to give them tongues that can sing and proclaim the, the deeds of God. But the great question we have to ask Isaiah is this. Well, how will this happen? How will the sphere of sin and death be overcome and conquered? How will this sad state of affairs within Israel be finally put away? Well, Isaiah points us in a firm direction. He says this in verses 3 and 4. He begins to preach to these people, and he says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And Isaiah is focusing the hope in here. What Israel needs in their blind and deaf and mute state is the arrival of God himself. This fear of sin and death will only be overcome, will only be put away, will only be redeemed when God himself draws near to his people. Behold, your God will come. He will come and save you. Isaiah says in verse 2 to this people, They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Israel needs God in their midst. And when God comes in their midst, then they shall see. Then they shall hear. Then they shall speak. And so here's the big contextual picture of the Old Testament. This is the story of the Old Testament told in a few short minutes. And, and with this big picture of the Old Testament placed before us, we now are in a position to move into Mark chapter 7. And we can begin prying open Mark chapter 7 by the means of three questions. So the first question is this. What do these stories say about who we are? So if you have your Bibles... Go back to Mark chapter 7, look at verse 31 with me. We're going to start working through our passage. Mark says in verse 31, Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And so we see in verse 31 that Jesus is continuing his ministry outside the land of Israel. And Mark charts out the circuitous route that Jesus is taking. And it's a rather odd route. Jesus has traveled into the region of Tyre. And now from Tyre, he's going to go further north into the region of Sidon. And from Sidon, he's going to finally roundabout, take his way down to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And it's a travel of about 120 miles on foot. And it's here when Jesus gets by the Sea of Galilee that he meets an unusual case. And verse 32 records this. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. So in each story that Mark tells us, in each healing story that Mark tells us, Mark emphasizes certain details. 
Both the woman with the flow of blood and the leper were unclean. And that tells us something. The Syrophoenician woman was a Gentile, and that tells us something. And Mark, in chapter 7, zeroes in on two important details about this man. He says he was deaf and had a speech impediment. And as we look upon the condition of this man, there's so much to pity about him. As we think about the ancient world, there really were no significant helps for this man. No hearing amplification. No speech therapy. This man was radically dependent upon others to care for him. Friends and neighbors had to bring him to Jesus. He was deaf. He couldn't hear about the ministry of Jesus. He couldn't hear the preaching of Jesus. He was mute. He couldn't call out to Jesus for help like the other characters in Mark we meet. He can't be like Jairus and implore Jesus to help him. But Mark doesn't simply put this story before us to elicit our sympathy for this man. As we look at this man in Mark chapter 7, we learn about the state of Israel. Even more, as we look at this man, we we learn about ourselves. This man is a, a symbol to us. And this man vividly and graphically reveals the state of Israel before God. What has become of Israel in their sin? Well, they are, are deaf to Jesus' words. What has Jesus done throughout the gospel? He has given himself to the task of preaching. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's announcing the gospel. But Israel does not receive him. They don't treasure up his words. They don't respond in faith. They don't grasp his saving identity. They can't pierce his parables. Instead, in sin, they block up their ears. This man is mute. What has Israel done with their tongues to Jesus? We can look at the leaders of Israel, the Pharisees and the scribes, and they've said this about Jesus. He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. We can look at the hometown of Jesus, Nazareth. What have they said about Jesus? They say, who is this? And even more, this man reveals who we are in our sin. In sin, we are a people who have willfully handicapped ourselves spiritually. Instead of hearing and obeying the word of God, in sin we have stuffed our ears full so the word of God cannot penetrate our ears. Instead of speaking the truth of God, we have become consumed with lies, so consumed with lies that we've forgotten what is true and what is false. Now it might seem that we're overloading this text a bit this morning. How can we rightly look at this man, he's deaf and he's mute, and see the status of Israel revealed? Even more, how can we look at this man in Mark chapter 7 and see our own hearts revealed, what's wrong with us revealed? Aren't we just spiritualizing this text, making this man into a a spiritual lesson about our own sin? But this is where we need to make a connection. Mark wants us to read this story about the deaf and mute man in harmony with the Old Testament story that we just worked through. And he keys us into this harmony, this connection we're supposed to make by the description of this man. Mark says this man had a speech impediment. Now this word is a very unique word. It only appears in one other place in the whole Bible. And where does it show up? Well, it shows up in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6, where Isaiah says, The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. 
And Mark is telling the sensitive reader of the scriptures this. He's saying you need to make this connection between this story about this deaf and mute man to the whole story of Israel. And Mark, through this connection, is, is preaching to us. He's saying this man's handicapped state, he can't hear with his ears, he can't use his mouth, resembles the, the spiritually handicapped state of humanity before God, their Savior. They can't take in, we can't take in God's word and we can't speak it right. So this brings us to our second question. There's the the sphere of sin and death. But what about gospel? So our second question is, what do these stories reveal about Jesus? So Mark tells us this in verses 33 through 35. And Jesus, taking him aside from the crowd privately, put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. What Jesus does again and again in the Gospel of Mark, he does once more for this poor man. Jesus, by his mighty power, reaches into the realm of sin and death and rescues this poor man from from sin and death. Jesus opens up this man's ears and he releases his tongue. And with this mighty deed, the crowd reacts. Verse 37, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. But we can ask again, what does this story reveal about Jesus? Who is this man walking about? Well, Isaiah longed for and he yearned for the day when the eyes of the blind would be open and the ears of the deaf would be unstopped and when the tongue of the mute would sing for joy. Here in Mark chapter 7, we see the direct fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 35. A, A deaf and mute man is rescued by Jesus. But we need to think carefully through the logic of Isaiah's prophecy. Integral to Isaiah's prophecy and hope that he gave to Israel was the timing of that prophecy. This redemption, this rescue of God's people, the deaf would hear and the mute would speak, would only happen when? Well, it only happened when God himself would show up. When God himself would arrive among his people. Isaiah preached to Israel, Behold, your God will come. He will come to save you. You shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of God. And by linking together these texts, Mark announces to us, Behold the God of Israel. He has arrived. Behold him as he travels entire through Sidon to the Diapolis. Behold him as he fulfills all the words written long ago. And Mark teaches us that when we see Jesus, when we see him walking and healing, we have seen the God of Israel. Behold, your God will come. He will come to save you. You shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of God. And when we look into this story, we see the glory and majesty of our God. But we cannot stop with this connection because if we look closely, there are more riches for us here. And Mark wants us to probe. Here we've noticed how the God of Israel interacts with his people. Mark tells us that Jesus put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. So we've been following this story about Jesus for quite some time. We know that Jesus' power and authority are absolute. Jesus and his disciples are are traveling across the Sea of Galilee and he controls the wind and the sea by his word. He says, peace be still, and creation answers him. 
We've seen Jesus interact with demons. Demons come to him and fall down before him, and Jesus speaks, and they obey. Jesus could have come to this man, this mute and deaf man, and said, be healed, and this man would have been healed. But Jesus touches his deaf ears, and then he places his saliva upon his tongue before healing him, before saying, Ephaphtha. While this seems strange, with the eyes of faith, we behold the mercy and kindness of Jesus. The God of Israel has come, Mark tells us. The God of incomparable glory and unsearchable greatness has arrived and is walking among his people. The God of whom the seraphim sing endlessly in the book of Isaiah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, has arrived among his people. But how has this holy God arrived? How does this holy God walk with his people? How does he deal with his people? What we see in this text, he has come in humility and condescension. The God of Israel does not stand aloof from his people who live in the sphere of sin and darkness, but Jesus graciously invades. The God of Israel does not keep his distance, but he places his fingers in those stubborn ears. And he places his saliva on that man's tongue. What Mark is doing, he's drawing us near to the heart of the gospel. Jesus is a humble and merciful Savior. What we see of Jesus in Mark chapter 7 is just a small sample of what Jesus has done for his people in the gospel. Humility and mercy and condescension are written over all of our Savior's works and deeds towards us. As Christ deals with us, he is a merciful Savior. We can just survey a few of Jesus' works. Look at Jesus' incarnation. Jesus' incarnation, his taking flesh, speaks of his humility and mercy. Paul sings of this this glory in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Or look at Jesus' endurance and faithfulness during his life as he endured suffering and temptation. It breathes mercy and kindness to us. The book of Hebrews says this in chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And we ought to look long and hard at the sufferings of our Savior. We ought to look long and hard at the death of our Savior on the cross. Here we find bottomless wells of mercy and kindness and condescension. Isaiah 53 speaks of Jesus. Isaiah says, Surely Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And we see in Mark chapter 7, this is the Savior that we need. And this is the Savior that is given to us in the gospel. A Savior who touches deaf ears and, and touches mute tongues. This is the Savior we get privileged to make fresh application to. And this is good news we need to latch hold of every day. We are a people who struggle against remaining sin in our lives, stubborn sin. We have sin that needs to be put to death yet. We have those places in our hearts that are hard and dull and stony. And our blessed and comforting hope is that we have a Savior who touches deaf ears and touches mute tongues. 
And we can bank on this just as this mute man and this deaf man found healing in the ministry of Jesus. All those who come to Christ in faith will find the same healing. Our Lord Jesus is a Savior and our salvation is in Christ himself. And this brings us to our last question. What do these stories teach us about the gospel? What is God trying to get done through the ministry of his son? Verse 35, Mark says, And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Jesus restored this man to what he was created to be, a man who can hear with his ears, a man who can speak with his tongue. And we can ask ourselves this morning, what is God doing in the gospel? What does the ministry of Jesus seek to accomplish? What is happening in the church even right now as Christ is ministering his word to us? Well, we must see that God is in the business of restoring us and redeeming us to what we were created to be. God works in the gospel so that he might have a people for himself, a a people who can hear his word with understanding. A people who do his word with joy, a people who treasure up his word in their hearts, a people who then can speak even better, sing God's word and all of his gracious deeds to all of creation. And what Jesus did for this man in Mark chapter 7 is just a small taste of what Jesus is doing in the gospel today for his people, the church. And the good news is day by day as we attend to Jesus' words, Day by day as we come to him in prayer and faith, week by week as we hear his gospel preached, we can be sure that he is working out his aims of restoration and redemption, even new creation among us. Through his word, Jesus is bringing life where there is only death, hearing to those who were deaf, speech to those who had mutilated their tongues. And gloriously, Jesus is in the business of washing his church, washing his bride with his word, and making a people fit for the kingdom of God, making us into what we were intended to be from the beginning, a people who can hear, a people who can speak, so that we might say, and this is where Mark is bringing us, that we might confess this. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. May that be true of us today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for our Savior. God has come. We thank you for your gracious ends in the gospel that you are working to create us to a people who can hear and speak your word. And Father, we pray that these ends would be accomplished even this morning through the preaching of your word. That there would be hearing where there wasn't. That there would be sight where there wasn't. That there would be speech where there wasn't. We pray, work salvation in our midst. We give thanks for our Savior.